Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast, formerly Business Unmuted, sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb, owner of Recognition PR, one of the longest established PR firms in the north of England. Each week we're talking to people in business and economic experts about the big issues that are affecting the region of the north of England. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. In the studio today we have Aman Chalal, who is the CEO of Tapered Plus, which is based in Stockton and designs and supplies flat roof and insulation solutions. And down the line, we've Charles Maltby, Programme Director of Huddersfield Unlimited, the business-led organisation that stands for the town of Huddersfield. And also down the line, we've got Carl Beckett, founder of Care to Inspire and renowned resilience coach, who's based in County Durham and Northumberland. And also, later on, we've got a feature with our colleague Josh Havikin, who's out and about looking at what's happening in business elsewhere in the region. But let's start by talking about things that are happening in the worlds of our guests. Charles Maltby, you're in Huddersfield. Uh, there's been a lot going on in the economy uh, this last few weeks, uh, particularly inflation and what's happening in people's shopping baskets and even a, a, a suggestion by the government uh, at the weekend that maybe there'll be a voluntary price cap on supermarket foods. How do your members of Huddersfield Unlimited view the economy at the moment? It's a good question, uh, Graham. The, the inflation rates are a function of many different things, energy being probably the, the prime one, although what's happening in uh, Eastern Europe clearly doesn't, doesn't help from, from that perspective when it comes to food supply, etc. Um, but we've got to find a way through it. There needs to be chance for the economy to recover through all of those things interest rates to get back to what they people expect them to be so we can manage and move forwards and it's down to individuals and their responsibilities perhaps to be careful and think about things and, and make sure that they can afford whatever it is that they're uh, looking after and and you know start with the essentials we need a roof over our head we need food to eat etc so pe people need to keep focused around that and i think um you know, despite all of that, there needs to be government money supporting the right initiatives and the right activities so that people's salaries, uh, clearly we have a focus around Huddersfield, bringing, bringing the right high value salaries into Huddersfield means that people can sustain these things a little bit uh, more easily as, as the clock ticks forwards. Well, we'll come back and talk about Huddersfield in a minute. Let's bring in uh, next, uh, we've got uh, Carl Beckett. Let's uh, just pull, pull him in. You're in the countryside. And we're going to talk about why, why you're in the countryside in a minute. Uh, but seeing all the farm fields behind you and so on, uh, one of the issues on the price of food is, of course, the price of producing food here in the UK. And it strikes me that some government policy contributes to the price of food. There's environmental policy encouraging farmers to rewild. And there's also Brexit policy by not lowering tariffs on the import of food from elsewhere. So there's lots of different policies that could get the price of food down. Does the government need to intervene or, as Stuart uh, Rose, who is uh, uh, from Asda now, Lord Rose says, um, he says it's clumsy to try and cap food prices. What's your view on the matter? Well, uh, thank you, Graham. I think food costs, uh, you know, they are going to hopefully slightly come down with commodity prices and, uh, and, and the fuel um, slightly coming down. But I think, you know, intervening in the market um, is not, I'm not sure, I, I think I agree with Stuart Rose that actually intervention um, in a market which is very high 
tightly squeezed it's, it's not maybe going to be the way forward i mean we've got farmers one of the most uh, efficient and productive communities in europe and they do an excellent job um, sometimes they don't get the fair price for their food and it's always tight at the market end so I, i'm slightly against intervention of course food costs are hitting you know the, those on the lowest incomes at the moment so you know that is a concern and uh, and it's been making the industry as competitive you know making sure that regulation um is fair and reasonable and allows them to, to you know to do to do their job and of course there is some intervention in the market isn't there with all the things like i was saying the rewilding and the regulation that farmers have to uh, deal with that's intervention in a negative way in some ways if you're from the perspective of some farmers or there's intervening in the market by setting tariffs so that food producers elsewhere in the world have their goods artificially priced when they come into the country so there is intervention somewhere yes there's, there's going to be intervention i think you know the rewilding projects you know there's an opportunity in brexit to you know to help on conservation in the places that i am here mm. absolutely beautiful part of the world but at the same time you know we have an ever increasing world population we need to produce that food so it's about how we can help with those exports and imports um, as, as a government to make uh, the regulation as easy as possible for them. Okay, Carl, let's turn to a man in our studio. Thanks for coming in, a man. Now, you've heard the, the people talking about inflation uh, on, on relation to food. Now, you run a business that provides uh, goods to the construction sector. What, what's inflation like in your sector? We, we do, Graham. It's, uh, inflation is, is rampant within construction. Um, Labour costs are going through the roof. The supply chain has been severely disrupted. So inflation is a real problem. And we've actually seen companies go into administration because they can't control the inflation. And what do you think should be done to, to get this sorted out? Is it going to be left to the market, in, particularly in construction, or are there interventions, including the Bank of England putting up interest rates, that can calm it down? It might be a brutal way of doing it. Jeremy Hunt even suggested he might accept a recession if it was necessary to get inflation down. I think, Graham, simply we need to invest more into UK construction. The government needs to invest more. Um, we need to invest in programmes and energy efficiency. I think that will solve a lot of problems. Your products, what, what, tell me about the products. We'll, we'll talk about each of our guests' uh, different businesses now. So what about your products? How do they work? We design and supply tapered insulation, Graham. So we supply insulation for flat roofs, which supplies water drainage plus thermal efficiency. Now, lots of flat roofs. I mean, we're in a building now that has a flat roof and it's built in 2007. I've said this on the, the programme before that uh, this building is relatively modern, yet amazingly, a lot of um, um, heat escapes through its flat roof. Bizarre. I would have thought modern uh, rules and regulations less than 20 years ago would have stopped that. Yeah, regulations are improving all the time. Um, 13.4% of the UK population is in fuel poverty, so retrofit has to be top of the agenda. Mm. So how easy is it to retrofit a flat roof building with your your kind of solution? And what, what's its efficacy? How does it work? What does it do? Re really, really simple. We get up on the flat roof, we design it, we supply the insulation scheme, waterproofing goes on top. So you've got a brand new, brand new roof with a 20 year product warranty, plus energy efficiency, so you'll get your payback really quickly. Okay. and what level of difference would it make? I mean, take a building like this commercial building, it's an office block with a flat roof. Is it going to make a radical difference, the heat escaping? It will. Um, 
if we look at energy costs, they're actually double what they were in October 2021. Mm -hmm. So the payback is really quick. We anticipate three to five years mm -hmm. as a payback now compared to 10 years previously. So it's worth doing. And what's the take up like? How's the business going? Um, it's going really well. We're up year on year. Um, the construction market's down 30%, but we're significantly up. So we're aiming for over 50% growth this year. Okay, let's see if that kind of replication of growth can happen in other different sectors. Let's talk about Huddersfield. Huddersfield, Charles, is a brilliant town. It's a, uh, we're, we're filming this and broadcasting this from Darlington. And I, I've been Huddersfield many times and it has some similarities to Darlington, um, not least of which the town centre is ringed by a ring road. And it has the same kind of demographic what kind of issues have you faced and how are you going about dealing with them? Well, I, th I think the biggest issue has been a, a lack of general investment into the town area for quite a long time. Um, we actually co-hosted an event recently with our friends at Kirklees Council, the, the local authority, showcasing some of what's happening in Huddersfield as we speak, which is, believe it or not, over a billion pounds of public money going into the town, predominantly in three areas. There is the upgrade of the Transpennine Rail Link. Huddersfield geographically sits almost equally between Manchester and Leeds and clearly is ideally suited, therefore, for anyone looking for a location that has access to both of those centres and beyond Liverpool and York and even up to where you are in Darlington, etc. The, the, the lines kind of come down through here. We've also got the council themselves investing inside that ring road, predominantly that you've just described with what they refer to as the cultural heart in particular, which is creating a new centre for leisure and more recreational activities for the people who live in the town where workers perhaps would go at their breaks so they can sit in the outside area or have access to, to more uh, conducive environments when they're, when they're taking some time to, to relax, etc. Um, and just outside the Ring Road, the university in Huddersfield has grown hugely over recent years and they're investing in a new campus which is all to do with health and well-being uh, the National Health Innovation Campus which is actually adjacent to another council initiative called the Station to Stadium Corridor so building on the investment into the railways the rather fantastic station that we have has a hotel next door the George Hotel that is now gaining a new operator in the shape of Radisson Red which is fantastic for the north to have a an establishment of that nature but it shows their interest in what the prosperity of the town will be as it grows out and that station to stadium enterprise corridor adjacent to the university campus new campus for health and well-being will hopefully encourage businesses to come and look at the town and invest create new higher value jobs put in that private sector investment alongside the public investment and help us turn the town back into more of a centre than it is at the moment. It historically was a, a very big centre if you go back to the Victorian era, hence many of the fantastic enlisted buildings, a challenge for a man and solutions to do with energy insulation when it's refurbishing the old buildings. But uh, a balance needs to be found between keeping the old and, and finding a way of moving forwards and progressing these things, at least in my mind. Some, some, some of my colleagues might disagree a little with that. But we have to find a way that's meaningful for the people of the town today and their prosperity and how they can cope with current living circumstances and, and energy price increases and so on and so forth. 
Now you also so, you, you know, also have a uni university, and 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 you've got the the innovation villages connected to the university, isn't it? The, the, yes. It, the, and there's quite a lot, a large number of northern big provincial towns that have universities. Middlesbrough has Teesside University, and you've got Br Bradford as well. Um, that's a city, of course, but. The, the university plays an important part in uh, the dynamism of your future programme, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I was attended an event a few days ago, which was the 10th anniversary of the 3M Buckley Innovation Centre, uh, an institute the university set up clearly 10 years ago, uh, which is about using some of the university's knowledge and research and know-how and linking it with the local businesses to help um, them have the right information and access to the right services so they can grow their businesses. There's a, a local business called uh, Paxman Coolers making uh, caps to be worn on the head to help when people have chemotherapy treatment for, for cancer and other such things to, to try and reduce hair loss. Grown fantastically in the town now uh, accredited to go and sell its products into the USA which is quite a hard challenge for the, for medical devices and such things. But they're very linked to the university in terms of where some of the research and know-how came from. And obviously other organisations want to do the same. We have a, an institute for textiles and railways associated with these things, which are again our traditional businesses in the town. But the engineering side and the advanced engineering side, there's a lot about additive manufacturing and the 3D printing processes for making metal as well as plastic parts these days that can lead into many of these advanced uh, uh, sorry, advanced businesses and, and technology mm. businesses and so on and so forth that the, the university is able to spearhead and support as and, as and when required. Charles, you're making a very good case for the motto that you stand for Huddersfield. And just tell me how you think provincial towns and uh, can, can, can hold their own. When you look at the uh, map of Yorkshire and the Northwest, you are in the middle of a triangle of three major cities, Leeds, Manchester and Sheffield. And there are other towns, uh, Dewsbury and Halifax and uh, Huddersfield and others that are probably facing similar issues in West Yorkshire. How yes. do you cope with this town-city divide? Because it isn't automatically a north-south divide, is it? Within the no. north, the towns have to hold their own now. I, I, I think, I mean, you, the centres that you mention each have got different merits and different attributes, and they, they need to stand up and talk about them more. It, it's easy for the outside community, be that national or international, to only see the big centres. I mean, uh, we have the, if you like, unfortunate situation that Manchester has two rather large football teams. So the name Manchester is heard throughout the, the globe and people know about the place and it's often used as a reference on a map to describe to people where Huddersfield might be. <laughs> um, it used to be like that, you know, some years ago. Huddersfield stood in its own right and, and, and recognised things. So each has got its own merits. The, the, the places you mentioned are all doing different things or have done different things. And Huddersfield has perhaps fallen a little bit behind in recent times, which is why I want to get it back on the map. But it has many um, unique sort of features in terms of its location and some of the history and the, and the nature of the history behind that that can enhance how those new investment offerings, private and public, can come in and, and actually help the place grow. We have nothing against the other towns uh, that wish to do similar things. We just would like to see a greater share, if you like, not fall into Leeds, Manchester and the other big cities, but actually find its way into the smaller areas where there's just as many 
people and needs from a business perspective to, to make sure all those things flow in the right direction. Well, Charles, thank you for speaking up for Huddersfield. It's called Huddersfield Unlimited, the organisation, and it's yeah. trying to coordinate a billion pounds worth of money that's in Huddersfield already, but making sure it's promoting the town and standing for the town. Thank Correct. you. Let's t- to turn to Carl now. Carl, you're in a beautiful setting because your business, you were a managing agent at a chartered surveyors, then you became MD of a care business, but now you yes. do something completely different. And it, it yes. looks as though what you're going to tell me is a, a lifestyle choice that many people would want to take. Uh, for people listening, uh, Carl is stood in front of beautiful countryside in Northumberland with a uh, a beautiful uh, outfit, including a uh, a great <laughs> Panama hat. All of oh, God's children wear all today. of God's children wear those hats. So tell me about why you're there. Uh, so this is my workplace. You know, I take leaders of organisations out into the wild to help clear their head, uh, develop resilience, if you like, and um, become better leaders. And uh, you know, working through my Resilience Valley model and just really using the outdoors as the medium to really unlock their potential their creativity make them more impactful leaders you know you know the studies recently about burnout and you know delights on an external survey in the u.s with thousand corporate um, business folks said that they had 77 percent had expected burnout over the last few years and gallup have followed suit recently with a similar survey so I think what this allows people is to get some headspace to think clearly. Um, and especially, you know, we've just obviously come out of the pandemic and now we have other pressures on us now. So I think it's a really important um, role that, you know, I'm hoping to help businesses um, sustain and develop and be more resilient. I gotta admit, I, I know that this is works because just a few months ago, um, on a beautiful day in March, I took to the coast of Northumberland with two business leaders and we took a day out to crunch through what was happening in our businesses. It was peer to peer and we walked uh, to uh, from, from uh, Beadnell to Dunstanborough Castle and then on to Craster. And it was a fantastic, obviously the scenery was good and it's very nice and I'm sure staff watching my Facebook post would have thought, what's he doing? Uh, <laughs> this is a bit jammy isn't it uh, but actually it did help develop ideas for the business and and likewise uh, the colleagues I was walking with fed off me and we fed off each other it was very good and I know several business leaders in Teesside do this although their walks are t- 20 miles I don't tend to go on them uh, they haven't <laughs> I don't know if I'll show you this. They call themselves the Teesside Walkers and Talkers, but you never abbreviate yes, it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you never abbreviate it. Uh, <laughs> so, but as you, you structure it, it though, don't you? Yeah, it is. And there's a lot of work that I do on a one-to-one basis, but also I do work in groups. And uh, the one-to-one, you know, you're spending some really quality time away from your business and some real magic happens. And in the groups, it's a, as you said before, it's a great bonding place to get to know each other more and to sort of work through issues that you have as a team. So undoubtedly, this works. You know, there'll be some science in the future that says this your, the chemistry in your brain works differently in this environment. And, I, you know, I know it works. Do you structure like it, though? I mean, it isn't just haphazard. Obviously, you've got a plot, a, a planned walk, and presumably yes. you've got a, an agenda in your head on how you'll yes. structure the conversation. And, and it's about 
using letting the build, the leaders, you know, it's myself acting as a guide to help them become better leaders. So it's a guided walk in the morning or the afternoon, and then followed with a, a sit down in a cafe or hotel, creating an action plan that you're going to follow through. So there's a lot of structure through with it. Uh, but it's about me unlocking the potential of them to become better leaders as a guide. Um, and, and that's the most important thing. And, you know, the agenda sometimes, you know, at each session can be varied and different, but we always have a theme that we follow through over the months. And, and how, what, what's the best size group? What, what is, from the point of view of your experience, is it is one on one best or two or three or 10 or 12? I think one, one on one is really powerful. Um, uh, but if you're taking teams out, you know, I take teams up to 12, eight or 10. But, you know, if you have a business meeting, why not take them for, why not go for a walk? Um, you have your agenda um, and you can do it in small groups of threes or fours. I, I, I vary it uh, up to 12 or a one-to-one. And man, is it anything you'd ever consider doing? Have you done it like this before? Yeah, well, during the pandemic, we had a lot of interviews. We were trying to recruit, trying to scale the team, and we did our interviews um, walking. Right. And it was really effective. And I, listening to Carl there, we probably should do that again. <laughs> there we are. I've got a potential customer for you. Uh, and by the way, the last of the summer wine country is just near you, Charles, isn't it? Uh, near Huddersfield. So that's good walking uh, country too. It, it, it is, and I endorse what Carl's saying. With, with, with one of my other hats on, I do mentoring in a, in a broadly similar sort of sense, and that, that ability to, to talk to people on a one-to-one -one basis and help them overcome difficulties and, and resolve problems uh, to help them run their businesses better is, is very key, and it's a, an essential part of the top end of business, I would suggest. Carl, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, you can uh, find they can... me on... Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Carl, how do people get in touch with you? People can get in touch with me on my website, which is carlbeckett.co.uk or LinkedIn, either oh. or. Okay, that's great. And Charles, your website, uh, Huddersfield Unlimited, is available for people to see? It is huddersfieldunlimited.co.uk or if they want to get a hold of me, they'll find me on LinkedIn as well. I was looking at it today, a very good interactive map and Tapered Plus has its own website. Tapered Plus. Taperplus.co.uk and we're also contactable by WhatsApp. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Okay, that's great. As I said last week, in the new feature for this programme, my colleague Josh Havakin is out and about speaking to businesses in the north. This week, he's in Northumberland. Josh, over to you. Hi, I'm Josh Havakin, and this week I'm up in Northumberland with Merit. It's using off-site construction to build the new hospital at Berwick. It's a really interesting, innovative company that's making huge differences in the building sector. Here's some of the modular designs and I'm going to speak with Tony Wells to find out a little bit more. What is different about Merit's solution to traditional building? Um, well, uh, n nothing's the same. Traditional construction is fragmented. Uh, designers are different from construction people. Construction people subcontract everything down a supply chain uh, and everything's done on site. Uh, in Merit's model, um, we don't subcontract the design. Um, it's an integrated platform model it's not open source we don't sell it to anyone else we only work for end users um, so it's a disruptive innovation in order to um, create a you know hopefully a 10x growth on productivity um, compared to traditional traditional construction uh, didn't really uh, adopt mass automation let's say Henry Ford Taylor in 1910 1920 um, and so it's languished in a in a manual world of 
uh, you know, uh, let's say um, fragmentation, um, uh, zero productivity growth, in fact, decline. We've produced a product solution for multiple buildings, which can be adapted to any building shape or functionality within certain market sectors. So biotech, uh, pharmaceutical, healthcare, hospitals, as you see now, um, that type of uh, more sophisticated building works well for our model. Um, and then we deliver the whole thing um, as an integrated solution. So uh, we only subcontract about a third of the work um, and we're progressively automating our production system with robots, CNC and, uh, and a, a raft of Industry 4.0 uh, automation. In terms of reduction of build time, um, in the biotech world, um, we've just completed the orderless facility down at Stevenage, 7,500 square meters. Normally that project would take four to five years to go from inception to time to use. Uh, we delivered the first phase in 17 months. I was only 54 weeks on site. Um, and we delivered it in uh, the back end of the pandemic that didn't cause us any issues in an area of inflation, which we gave a fixed price on, which, was, which we uh, adapted to. Uh, difficulty with materials, which we also adapted to because it's a product-based solution and we could buy materials early because we design it and so we define it and we can uh, fix the price and we can fix the design. So so in in terms of orderless, we saved three years and saved 6,000 pati patients getting a life-changing leukemia treatment, which is spectacularly successful. In terms of a hospital, um, we're going to deliver Berwick Hospital from access to site in April to around a November finish next year. Um, if we were doing a, a hospital from a standing start, we could probably do it five years quicker than anyone else um, and um, significant cost reduction. Although, uh, you know, our, our business model is not about low profit as the construction industry is because, you know, that business model is not sustainable. Most it's the highest level of uh, administrations right now. Um, so we have to make more profit if we're going to spend 6% on R&D. Um, but that productivity gain more than offsets it. So clients can take, you know, a third of the time construction and it works first time when they get it. I think if the NHS were to adopt um, this type of methodology on a larger scale, um, then it would bring affordability to the NHS in terms of new construction. Uh, they could have their hospitals five or six years quicker. Um, patients would have improved care. Um, it would be improved, you know, we would have a, a zero scope one carbon solution and uh, improved energy um, consumption. We would be far better prepared for any future pandemic because we have significant improvement in infection control. Um, but the, the NHS would get value for money. Patients would get access to better care uh, at an affordable price. And I also spoke with Marion Dixon from Northumbria Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust. They'll be running the hospital once it's built. We're delighted that we're going uh, this way to uh, this new design because we can be building it off-site. Uh, it doesn't, uh, the weather doesn't affect that in any shape or form. It can be designed specifically as to what we would like to have and it's already pre-built. So when it, when it comes and then it's erected at the hospital site, there is very little then to do. But it's very, very important for us to have local services for local people um, to try and make sure that we augment our local economy. Uh, we're delighted to be in partnership with Merit 
uh, you know, the, they've worked extremely hard with us. Um, they, they get the detail of what we need for our patients and for the services going forward. We need to make sure that we future-proof this hospital and bring as much innovation to it as we can. Uh, obviously, the IT infrastructure. Um, so we want to really work in partnership with them to get the best that we can for Beric. Thank you, Josh. Now, we never know where Josh will be. I'm going to send him out and about over the next few weeks or interviewing interesting people so we get extra content for the Northern Business Podcast. So do join us next week. We were uh, always ready to tell you about what's happening in business in the north of England. And of course, if you run own a business in the north of England and want to take part, please get in touch with me via LinkedIn, Graham Robb at LinkedIn. Never miss an episode. Like, rate and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.